God's promises never fail. Amen? You notice that lyric in there. I'm not going to do it right, but uh, I will listen to every word you say. And church, we've been given God's word, and if we will listen to it, our lives will be changed and different. Amen? Pray that you will take your Bible and turn to the book of 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. We're entering into the last chapter of our sermon series through the book of 1 Thessalonians. We're not going to complete Thessalonians today, 1 Thessalonians today, but chapter 5, pick up in verse 1. If you want to use that pew Bible right there in front of you, you're welcome to turn to page 1,358. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 1, and we will stand and read that here in just a moment. Here's a touchy subject I'm going to bring up with some of you is, how long does it take you to fall asleep? I read a few studies this week. It seems that most people take between 10 minutes and 30 minutes to fall asleep when they go to bed. Now, church, I'm going to tell you that I just said that normal people take between 10 and 30 minutes to fall asleep. I'm going to get ready to say something that to you might be surprising. I'm not normal. I didn't get very many amens out of that, but I got some out of that. Church, I hear you. I'm not normal. But I almost always fall asleep very quickly. Sometimes it might take me one minute or two minutes to go to sleep. I actually, if I'm going to pray, I actually have to sit up. Angela asked me, she said, you know, you get in bed and you turn the lights off and she finds out where I am and she can't find me. And she says, where are you? I said, I'm sitting right here on the edge of the bed praying because I know that if I lay down and let that be my prayer time, God's going to get about 35 seconds of me and then I'm going to be out. And so if we're going to talk, which is a really sweet time to talk, it's going to have to be with the lights on and me sitting on the edge of bed or something like that. Just very rarely am I going to be up long enough to carry on any kind of lengthy conversation. Angela's reminded me that there have been times when we've started a conversation and the next morning she goes, we didn't finish that. She said, I heard you sleeping. I just go to sleep very quickly and very easily. Now, I know that some people struggle with this issue. Some people take a long time to fall asleep. I also read where falling asleep quickly may not be a good thing. I read some studies that talks about that the reason I might fall asleep or people who fall asleep quick so far is because they might be sleep deprived, that they might actually be so tired that they couldn't stay awake even if they wanted to. Now, I read all the other symptoms and all that stuff, and I don't fall asleep doing this and that and the other, so I don't think I'm sleep-deprived. I just think I'm very fortunate. I get to go to sleep very, very quickly. How long does it take you to fall asleep? Now, I'm changing gears, but I'm staying with sleep for just a second. This week, just in the last seven days since I last stood with you, I have spent time speaking to people or speaking about people that had fallen asleep. And I don't mean this in a physical sense, but in a spiritual sense. They had fallen asleep. And I don't mean this in the 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 death sense, which is what Paul used the word sleep in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. 
when you get to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, I'm talking about in the spiritual faithfulness sense, they have not lived their lives appropriately before God. They have fallen asleep. They've allowed themselves to get distracted in this world by everything except Jesus. Do you know that when you get distracted by Jesus, it'll change your life? I'm talking about when Jesus is your every goal, your every purpose, your every reason. You're going, Jeff, is that possible? Yes, it is. That's why God teaches us about him, that he can come in and be our Lord and Savior. But these people, these three situations this week, they had fallen, failed, sinned, walked away. And every time, every single time it hurt me. And I found out that it hurt me for two reasons. Number one is it hurt me because seeing people fall, sin, fail in their faith is hard to see when you love them and you walk with them. But secondly, it reminded me that I am weak, that I am just a man. That if I do not stay constantly in touch with Jesus in my daily life, that I too could fall asleep. Church, while I like the fact that I can fall asleep physically at the end of each day very quickly, I do not like the fact that I am also able, if I take my eyes off of Jesus, to fall asleep spiritually just as quickly if I'm not careful. Paul speaks to this in the scripture that we're talking about today because this opportunity could be a danger to each and every one of us who claim to be followers of Christ. And so before we stand and read, and we're going to stand and read in just a second, I want to give you something to sort of look for when we stand and read. I would like you to look for two specific things when, you, when we stand and read here in just a second. I would like you to look for Paul's mention or use of the word you, we, us, our. These are what I would call inclusive words, words that unite a certain group of people together for certain reasons or for similarities. I will tell you that based upon my count, Paul uses these inclusive words, including one another and each other, 19 times in the scripture we're getting ready to read. But I also want you to look not just for inclusive words like you, we, our, and us. I would like you to look for exclusive words. Words like they, them, those, and others. We see these. They're separator words. They're not part of us. They're them. And Paul uses these words in these verses we're going to read, by my count, six times. But each time they're drawing a distinction as they separate people into a different group. So with your homework of looking for inclusive words and exclusive words, I pray that you can also stand with me now and we will read the Word of God together. I just want you to pay attention to that as we read. We're going to read from 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. I'm going to read the first 11 verses together. 
Paul writes in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, picking up in verse 1, But concerning the times and the seasons, brethren, you have no need that I should write to you. For you yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord so comes as a thief in the night. For when they say peace and safety, then sudden destruction comes upon them as labor pains upon a pregnant woman, and they shall not escape. But you, brethren, are not in darkness, so that this day should overtake you as a thief. You are all sons of light and sons of the day. We are not of the night nor of darkness. Therefore, let us not sleep as others do, but let us watch and be sober. For those who sleep, sleep at night, and those who get drunk are drunk at night. But let us who are of the day be sober, putting on the breastplate of faith and love, and as a helmet, the hope of salvation. For God did not appoint us to wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, that whether we wake or sleep, we should live together with him. Therefore, comfort each other and edify one another, just as you are also are doing. Thank you. You may be seated. Now, did anybody see any inclusive words? You could almost not see anything else now that I had drawn your attention to it. Isn't it amazing how many inclusive you, us, we words were there? Anybody, and anybody see the exclusive words? The they's and the them's and, and those people. And so that's what we're going to talk about a little bit today. Last week, when we finished up 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 13 to 18, we discussed the return of Christ in the air, how Jesus will return with a shout, how the dead in Christ will rise first and receive their new resurrection bodies, how those believers in Christ that are alive will be caught up and joined Jesus in the air, and how we will always be together with the Lord. That is fantastic scripture full of hope. These words, it says, were given to us by God, through Paul, to give us understanding, verse 13 last week, to give us hope, verse 13 last week, and to give us comfort, verse 18 last week. And 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 18, tells us that this comfort, and to me, that also that understanding and that hope, is meant for us to share with one another, to share with people. Note the term, one another. It's an inclusive word. But while we're not given this specifically, I believe that as we rotate into chapter 5, the people are probably asking, that's why Paul is writing what he does in chapter 5 and verse 1, they're probably asking a really most obvious question, a question that likely you have asked or asked last week when we were doing this is, okay, so Jesus is coming back. The dead in Christ will rise first. We will get caught up in the air with him. We will be with him forever. Now, Paul, tell us when. When's it going to happen? And remember we talked last week that it could be happening any moment and that how we needed to live in a way that caused us to recognize that Jesus could come in any moment. They were asking, when could all of this take place? Wouldn't you like to know that? Wouldn't you like to know when Jesus is going to come back? That's an easy question to ask. And our first answer is probably, yeah, I just don't know that if we really, really thought about it, would that be the most appropriate answer? I think God has a purpose in the timing that he has set apart. But so Paul steps into verse 1 and he said, concerning the times and the seasons, what Paul is referring to is, those times and those events and those eras 
that he was alluding to that we just talked about last week in chapter 4, the timing of the return of Christ. Paul says concerning those times and seasons, verse 1 goes, you have no need that I write to you about that. Paul says, you don't need me to tell you of that. Well, why? He goes on in verse 2 and he says, for you yourselves know that the day of the Lord will come like a thief. You know what Paul is saying? Because see, Paul has been with them. He has taught with them. He has written to them. He has sent Timothy to them. We've already talked about how he has alluded to the return of Christ in multiple times in every chapter that we've gotten to in 1 Thessalonians so far. And Paul says, you know that you will not get to know. That's what he says right there. Paul says, you know because I have taught you that you will not get to know. And Paul says, you know, because Jesus taught us that we will not get to know when he's coming back. Matthew chapter 24, verse 36, Jesus is teaching and he makes this statement, but of that day, his return, an hour, no one knows, not even the angels of heaven, but my father only. Acts chapter one, verse seven, just before his ascension, pretty much some of his final words that he shares with the disciples. He said to them, it is not for you to know times or seasons which the Father has put in his own authority. Paul says, you don't need me to answer your question of when because you already know that we will not know the day or the time. Now, I could list for you, starting back from the first century all the way to about 15 years ago, where people have thought they have figured out when Jesus is going to return. They've used all kinds of calculations, all kinds of methods, all kinds of charts, all kinds of math, they've science, you name it. They figured it out. And guess what? Every single time, wrong, 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 wrong. You know why? Because we won't know. Paul says, you don't need me to tell you that you won't know because you already know that you won't know. Our challenge as followers of Christ in this day, all this information we've been given about end times events, the return of Jesus should inform not when is it going to happen, but how should I be living because it's going to happen? That's where we should be motivated. An interesting point, if you'll see what Paul says. He says, you don't need me to teach you. But then he goes on and teaches them anyway. Do you notice that? You're going, this is going to be a quick sermon. Paul says, you don't need me to teach you because you know you're not going to know, period. Let's go home. But then Paul breaks into the next 10 verses and teaches them about what he said he didn't need to teach them about. He teaches them about what he says they already know. And that could be a little bit of a head-scratching moment if you're not careful. Church, can I just tell you that what I think and why I think Paul does this is sometimes we just need a reminder. We need a reminder of the very things we already know. So let me just remind you of a couple of things. 
Verse 2, this time will come like a thief in the night. Verse 3, this time will come like the onset of labor pains. Now, I read some stuff this week. You know, that statement on the onset of labor pains, if you're not careful in this world, people can use that against you because now we, we schedule C-sections. We induce labor. It's not a surprise. It, we can almost schedule it. We had one child that we had no idea when he was getting here, and he decided... And then we had another child that we said, we'll show up at a certain time and he'll be here in just a few minutes. That's how it worked out. And so I don't want us to ruin it. Back in the first century when this was written, there was no induction. There was no C-sections. The baby just said, I'm coming. And you got ready for it. Many of you in this room, you came through those generations that the baby said, it's time, I'm coming. And you, you were just, you were on. And Paul is telling them that both thieves and labor, they come without warning. Paul says, you're not going to get warning. Look what he says in verse 3. For when they, exclusive word, say peace and safety. When they, think about that. When they think they know, when they think everything is under control, that's when it's going to happen. Proverbs 16, 18 says, pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 12 says, Therefore let him who thinks he stands take heed lest he fall. Those are two verses that every single one of us should memorize. Those two verses tell us, Jeff, if you're not careful, you will begin to think that you have gotten someplace and arrived and have it figured out. And then you're ripe for falling. Did I tell you three times this week, I found myself with people or working with people about people who had spiritually fallen in their faith. Paul's reminding them, he says, you don't get to a point where you can say it's safe and secure. As a child of God, we are always on the clock. And Paul makes another statement. Verse 4, he says, But you, brethren, are not in darkness. This day when Jesus returns should not overtake you as a thief. If you look in the NIV, it says, You, brothers, are not in darkness, so that this day when Jesus returns should surprise you. Paul's saying not only do you not get to know when that day is, but if you live for Christ as you should, you will not be surprised when that day comes. Paul is speaking to how a person who knows Jesus as Savior should be living each day, looking for Jesus, living as if Jesus were returning soon, being found faithful. Think about it this way. It's probably happened in your life. You've got a birthday coming up or a big anniversary coming up and, and your friends and your family are going to get together and they have a big surprise party planned. And then it slips and you find out about it. But you don't want to wreck it for them. So you just know it's coming. And you're always probably looking for it because you don't know the exact moment or the exact time, but you're sort of always looking for it. And then in that moment when it comes, because you're always looking for it, you have to give it this fake surprise. 
And if you've been in that situation where you've known it was coming and then the party happened and then you gave this fake surprise, everybody in your family looked at you, oh, you knew, didn't you? Right? You know this feeling. We can't act surprised if we already know it's coming. So we as children of God, if we choose to live faithfully, daily submitted to Christ, we will not be surprised. While we may not know, it's not going to surprise us because we know it's going to happen. And Paul says, you're not going to be surprised by this. Don't you worry. You just live your life. Do you believe that Jesus is returning? Three people believe Jesus is returning. That explains a lot. Now, because you didn't see that coming and I surprised you with that question, I'm getting ready to tell you I'm getting ready to ask that question again. See how I just broke the surprise for you? Okay. So let me ask you this question. Two warnings. Do you believe that Jesus is returning? You see how when you know the answer, when you know the question is coming, how we are all ready for it? That's what Paul is saying we should be. As children of God, he said, you don't need to know when. You just live faithful, and it won't surprise you because you'll be ready no matter what. So do you believe Jesus is returning? Do you look for him to return? Do you allow this truth of his return to impact how you live each and every single day? When Jesus returns, will you be found faithful or will you be surprised? Church, can I tell you that in that moment that Jesus returns, you will either be found faithful or you will be found surprised. And if you're found surprised, it won't be because he catches you doing something that you should be doing because those are the people that are being found faithful. When you're surprised by its whole definition of what we're teaching here, it means you're not ready. You're not living the way that you should. No one, you would say, no one knowing that Jesus is returning would live of their life so carelessly as to be found faithful at his return, right? Let me say that again. Child of God, Jesus said, I'm coming back. You know he's coming back. You know how we are to live. Why would any of us live our lives so carelessly as to be found unfaithful in that moment? And you're going, well, nobody would do that. Nobody. Except church, can I tell you, every single day, many live that way. They claim Christ and are living carelessly. And they don't get up having, okay, I think I'm just going to be lazy today. Do you know what happens when this happens? It's the same way we put on weight. It's the same way we get in shape. It's the same way we do everything. It becomes a habit. Whether it's a good habit or a bad habit, it becomes something that slowly but surely. You know, I didn't wake up one day and go, oh, there's 10 pounds. You know, those 10 pounds, they jump on you one ounce, one meal, one cookie, one too many coffees at a time. 
If you are bordering on being unfaithful, it's not that you woke up going, I'm going to be unfaithful today. It's that you woke up having been slightly less faithful, less faithful yesterday and today. You're going to continue that slide and that slide and that slide and that slide. And you're going to wake up one day and you're going to go, how did I get here? But every single day, did I mention to you, I have three times already, that this week I have been involved in three, three different situations just this week where someone who claims Jesus as Savior has acted in an unfaithful manner. Church, why would a follower of Christ live so carelessly? And when I ask myself a question in my office, I force myself to answer it so I can stand before you with hopefully an answer. But here's what I come up with. Why would a follower of Christ live so carelessly? Well, I believe it probably comes down to one of three potential answers, and I'm not trying to be absolutely scholarly on this. I just think this is what works out to me. Why would a follower of Christ live so carelessly? Because they do not believe that Jesus is going to really return. They just don't believe that day's coming. So they don't see the importance of living as if that day is coming. Number two, they may believe that they have plenty of time. That he's not coming now. He's not coming today. Heaven forbid, it's been over 2,000 years. He's probably not even coming in my lifetime. It doesn't really matter I'm saved by grace. I'll do pretty much whatever I want to because he's not coming back today. Church, that's ignorance. That's not knowing. We've talked about that. So either they don't believe Jesus is coming back or they believe that they have plenty of time. Or the third thing is, is that they believe that they can live in an unrighteous manner and just plain old get away with it. And I'm here to tell you that if the attitude of a person is, is I can live any way I want to and get away with it, that person doesn't know Jesus as their Savior. And people live carelessly every day. Paul reminds them, you will not know the time. Paul reminds them, you do know that it is going to happen. And Paul reminds them, you should not be surprised. And then he teaches them again how they should be living as a follower of Christ. Well, look with me. Go to verse 5. He says, you are all sons of light, not of the darkness. Paul is writing to brethren, to the church, to the faithful, to the believers, and he says, just remember, you're sons of light. Now, let me help you keep, just go fast with me here just a second. Verse 6, we are to watch. If you're in the NIV, it means to be alert. Verse 6, we are to be sober. In the NIV, that means to be self-controlled. Verse 8, we are to be sober, self-controlled. Verse 8, putting on the breastplate of faith and love. Verse 8, putting on the helmet of the hope of salvation. Verse 9, God has appointed us to salvation, not wrath. Verse 10, we are to live with him. Now, it's interesting. When you go and look at that word, live with him, that is a current 
and future word. We are to live with him. Your eternity has already begun. You are a child of God from now until forever if you know Jesus as your Savior. And Paul says in verse 10, you're to live with him. It should impact your every day, not just your heaven day. Verse 11, we are to comfort. The NIV uses the word encourage one another. That's an accountability. Verse 11, we are to edify, which means to build up. We're to walk with people. Verse 11, we are to keep doing this. Look at verse 11. Just as you are also doing. Paul says, listen, even if you're found faithful in this moment, let me encourage you. You're not there. Stay faithful. Stay faithful. Tomorrow, be faithful. Stay faithful. Keep doing what you are doing. Church, like Paul, you likely knew every single one of those things. You likely don't need me to teach you these things. Again, but I, like Paul, am going to teach you again and again and again. And you're going, Jeff, why? Why do you feel the need to teach me again and again and again? One, did I tell you I met three people this week who had fallen. So let's start with, I don't want to see you fall. Let's second with, we all need to be reminded. And let's third be this one, the most powerful one for me. This is what God has called me to do. I have an absolute God-granted authority to both seek him for what he wants me to say and then to be faithfully saying it. And one day I'm going to stand before God, as you do, and I'm going to remove your excuse of, I didn't know, because that'll both improve your opportunity as you stand before God, and it'll improve your daily life as well. So as I was studying this and seeing why, why, why am I going to teach again and again and again, two scriptures came to my mind that probably perhaps came to yours because, see, it's not that we don't know what we are supposed to know and do, but he talked about being self-controlled made me think about the fruits of the Spirit. You guys know the fruits of the Spirit. Right? Let me read those. If you're a note-taker, you can write down Galatians chapter 5, 22 and 23. I'm already here, so there's no reason for you to turn there. But it says, but the fruit of the Spirit, not the fruit of the person, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, fruitfulness, you know, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such there is no law. Did you notice the last one is self-control? Paul points out to the Thessalonians, you need to get self-control. You know, the only way I believe that a man or a woman who follows Christ can get to self-control, there's only one pathway to self-control. Let me tell you that pathway. Love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness. When you allow God to bring you through each of those fruits, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, then you're standing right on the doorstep of self-control, number nine. 
Where are you on the fruit spectrum? One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. Ask God this week. Galatians 5, 22 and 23. Read it and say, God, where am I? Love, joy, peace. Where am I? The Spirit of God and the Word of God will teach you exactly where you are because it's not God's desire that you not become this. It is absolutely God's desire that you become this, and He'll help you get that. Where are you on the fruit spectrum? That also shows you where your challenge might be coming from. And then I was, another scripture popped to mind, and it probably popped to yours already, and I'm going to read it. It's a little bit lengthier, but it is so important. Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 to 18. Remember it talked about the breastplate and the helmet made me go directly to the armor of God? So let me read Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 to 18. It says this, Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in that evil day and having done all to stand. Stand therefore, having girded your waist with truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness and having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Above all, taking the shield of faith with which you will be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked one and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. Praying always with all prayer and supplication in the spirit, being watchful to this end with all perseverance and supplication for all the saints. Do you notice what Paul said? Be strong in the Lord. When I make my notes, it's written down right here. That means every place that's not the Lord, I will be weak in. If you are not strong in the Lord, you will be weak in every other thing. He goes on to say, put on the whole armor of God. Every piece, every day. I looked, I couldn't find it. Perhaps we should just put it on and not take it off and just sleep in it. It might take me a few extra minutes to fall asleep with all that armor on, but you guys get the point, right? Put it all on, every single piece. Twice it said that. It says that you are going to be in a spiritual battle every day. Anyone in here who has not felt as though they were in a spiritual battle this week, you're in trouble. You're in trouble. If Satan's not messing with you, if this world's not challenging you, if you're not being called to stand for your faith in one way or another, then you're not seeking, Jesus said, to live righteously. Spiritual battle every single day. The purpose of the whole armor of God is so that you will stand and be watchful to the end. I wrote this down in my notes. I can relax, spiritually speaking, when Jesus returns. Not until.
So let's go back to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. One more verse I want to share with you. This was the hinge verse for me. Look at verse 6. Therefore, let us not sleep as others do, but let us watch and be sober. Now, it's an interesting thing about that verse. Let us not sleep as others do. You remember I began this morning by calling out to you when we read the scripture to remember the inclusive words, you, we, us. There were 19 of them. And then I encourage you to listen to the exclusive words, they, them, those, and there were six of them. If you go back and read and you can check me, verse 6 of chapter 5, is the only verse in the scriptures we read today where both of them, inclusive and exclusive, are in the same sentence. Every other verse is either about we, us, you, or about them, those, and others. But in verse 6, it's the hinge verse. Now look at it. It says, therefore let us not sleep as others do. That means that there are people that are sleeping right now, not living faithfully right now. And Paul says, that's not you. Let us not sleep. This is a dividing scripture. You see, people in this world right now are either included or excluded because of their faith. And that faith must be in Jesus. And Paul is telling us that the difference is not in what we claim, but in how we live. I didn't write this down, but I heard from a semi-wise man once upon a time that it matters how you live. If we live knowing that Jesus is returning, If we live faithfully, not only are we validating our salvation, but God can use us to draw others or they or them or those to Jesus. If we do not live like Jesus is returning, if we are not faithful, not only are we going to push people away from knowing Jesus, You know, that's what happens, right? When a child of God becomes unfaithful, people who do not yet know Jesus want less to do with Jesus than they did the moment before. That's just a reality, church. It matters how you live, not just for you, but for others. Not only are we going to push people away from knowing Jesus, I believe that many will die separated from Christ because they don't have faith. But if we can live that unfaithfully and push other people away and separate them from Christ forever, we may actually be showing that we do not have that transformational salvation, redemption in our lives either. And one final thing as we close, in Acts chapter 1, verse 11, Jesus has just ascended. And the angel in that verse states this to the disciples. Men of Galilee, why do you stand here gazing up into heaven? 
This same Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will so come in like manner as you saw him go into heaven. My translation, that angel said, stop standing here doing nothing. Go get busy being faithful. Amen? Church, we need this message. We don't need what Jeff has to say, but I am so thankful for a God who knew that years ago we would be right here. I didn't know that, that we would be dealing with whatever you're dealing with and whatever I'm seeing people deal with, we'd be dealing with, and we would need a reminder today of how we must live faithful and how we can fall 